We work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clear. Clear for what? For the rest of the world. You guys hear that? Welcome to the show, everybody. I am your host, Tony Merkel, and I am really glad that you're here, and I'm really glad to be here. Right about now, I'm probably getting off an airplane at the Philadelphia airport, where Lindsay and I are coming back from California, more specifically, the San Francisco area. We were on vacation this past week. It's probably going to be the last vacation we take for a while with the baby coming, so we figured we'd go across the country and really enjoy ourselves. But tonight's guest, we have Jim Wilhelmsen coming on. Jim actually wrote a book called Beyond Science Fiction. It's a book that he actually wrote 20 years ago, and it's just now becoming popular with all the things that are in the news. You see, Jim wrote this book because he felt like God was revealing things in the Bible to him, and he wanted to write it down so that he could put it into a book for other people to learn from. In this book, Jim talks about the Nephilim, hollow earth, UFOs, aliens, and much, much more. And he goes into all these kind of things during the interview tonight. So sit back and relax and enjoy listening to Jim Wilhelmson talk about things that he feels God revealed to him in the Bible. Okay, tonight we have a great guest coming on, Jim Wilhelmson. Uh, Jim and I connected through Facebook, I think it was months ago, and we had just been kind of playing tag with the whole setting a date thing. And uh, I'm really glad that I'm actually having Jim come on the show tonight. Jim is an author, and he wrote the book Beyond Science Fiction. And this book really just kind of goes into uh, the mysterious side of life, and and he takes it from a biblical mindset. Uh, Jim, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Jim, it's great to have you on. And before we get going on your encounter uh, for, for this evening and your thoughts on other topics, would you like to talk about your book a little bit and how that kind of all developed as far as writing it? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I've, I've always had a lifetime um, fascination with the space program, with um, all the idea of aliens and, and UFOs. And uh, being almost 66 years old, I'm got there right at the very beginning of the space program. I remember even cutting out the cut article in the clip of the Sputnik uh, from 
first satellite being launched out in outer space. So I was just fascinated by it. And even though I was rather young, um, it, it just captivated me. And of course, that was when all the campy 50s uh, sci-fi movies were coming out. And and I, gosh, remember way too much about all of them. And uh, <laughs> it was kind of a preoccupation of, of my just child mind. And when I was 10 years old, my grandmother got me my first telescope. And I won't say that I was like a an amateur astronomer or anything. I just like looking at stuff, you know, through this telescope. And from the from the space program, from um, all of the science fiction movies that I've been watching, I remember looking up in the sky and wondering just, you know, if there was other life out there and, and, uh, and almost said, uh, you know, just, you know, if you're up there, um, are you guys, you know, are you guys doing good or are you come down here to eat us or like in the movies or what, you know, what's going on? Can you show yourselves to me or whatever? Well, you know, I, I never realized, but that was I was opening up a door and allowing an influence. You want aliens? You're praying up in the sky. Hey, Satan will give you aliens. He'll give them to you all over the place until the point where they actually come and abduct you. And that was part of one of the results that, that uh, just in that innocence, it wasn't that I was evil looking for, you know, um, you know, Satan or anything like that. I was just an innocent kid that was never trained up in the ways of the Bible. And I got caught up just innocently into this stuff. And many, many people have been the same thing. They ended up inviting um, the powers of darkness in their life, not looking for evil, not looking for anything other than just being curious. But if we're, if our curiosity leads us to open doors um, to the supernatural realm, and we don't have defense by knowing God or knowing his word, um, it makes us vulnerable. And so this is what I try to share with people when, you know, I, you know, I'm not accusing you of being wicked or bad or evil or anything. This is happening just plain out of ignorance. The Bible says that my people shall perish for the lack of knowledge. And we need to know God's word. We need to know what um, the Lord has to say about any of this. So the premise of my book is that I truly believe that anything that is ever going to challenge our faith, anything that's going to threaten it, God has given us a clear foundation. And we have to maybe dig a little deeper to find out what the Bible is actually saying. As Daniel was told to shut up and seal up the meanings until the time of the end when knowledge will increase and people run to and fro. Well, I think we're in that time now. We're coming to the culmination of uh, Satan's plan because he does have a plan. And God's plan, overall plan and uh, fulfillment of all things. So in that, God has not left us as orphans. He's given us the comforter, his Holy Spirit, to lead us and guides us into all truth. Uh, Jeremiah 33, 3 says that, you know, that if we ask, he will get, tell us things that, that could not even actually be known by mankind. And we're living in those days where I think all the stops are pulled out. Uh, Satan's plan is coming to total fruition. And so in that, we have now have access to answers that never could be understood before. So the premise of my book is that whether it be artificial intelligence, cloning, aliens, uh, alien abduction, um, gosh, even time travel, parallel dimensions, hollow earth, all these things are elements to one story of paradise lost and God's redeeming quality to bring man back and reconciled and eventually paradise restored. So in my book, I, I cover all of this. Now, um, I probably, when I became a Christian, it was 1974, so we're talking 43 years ago. And um, about three years later, I entered into ministry, and I started, I pioneered one of the first evangelical Christian motorcycle ministries. Now, in that time, I started seriously 
praying to Lord, Lord, I know that some of this UFO alien stuff is real. So please show me in your word. How does this fit in? Because I just knew that that something like that had to be in the scriptures somewhere. So this was like 1978. I gave my first sermon to my bike congregation, um, and they were already used to me being so outside of the box that it wasn't too strange for them. But I gave my first sermon on uh, Genesis 6 and how the activities there would carry over to an end-time deception uh, pertaining to aliens. This was in 1979 when I gave that sermon. So, I mean, this is... You know, probably six or seven people even knew what a Nephilim or, you know, um, the sons of God and what happened uh, really happened. Um, there was one book, I think, written at the time that was the sons of God return. And I can't remember the name of the author, but it was a real pioneering effort. It was the first book that I know of written on the Genesis 6 paradigm related to aliens. Um, shortly thereafter, uh, a few other major works um um, Omega Conspiracy with uh, Dr. I.D.E. Thomas was probably the second primary book ever written on the topic. And, of course, now there's hundreds and maybe even thousands, you know. So, I mean, sure. I guess our, our, our work effectively. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I was too busy with the ministry in 1978. And I, to, I told my congregation, I said, now, when I hear that uh, there's cohabiting or hybrid things going on, I didn't know what was going on then. But... When I hear it again, I'll probably have to get more involved in it. And I sense sometime in the future, I'm probably going to. But right now, I'm too busy with the bike ministry here. Well, 20 years later, 1996, the Lord told me to separate to be unto him. And um, I was in a unique time of my life. I got laid off from a very high-paying job. I had all kinds of money stashed away. And um, I had just moved 60 miles away from where I used to live to for a new job. And that's the one that I had saved up all this money, got laid off. I lived on the water. Um, I loved to fish. So you know, I had a little poor man's paradise. I lived on a, uh, a little uh, efficiency apartment right on a, um, a river that led into Lake St. Clair. So I bought me a boat, built me, a sh built me my own uh, uh, dock, um, and slipped out and went fishing every day. So when I got laid off, I'm thinking, oh, boy, I'm just going to you know, I can take six months off and uh, take the summer and just have a good old time. That sounds and, awesome. the Lord, and the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and says, no, I've got other ideas for you. I want you to start fasting and praying. I'm going to tell you all the answers that you've been wondering about. And I go, wow. Okay. So that was exciting. I actually, I didn't, you know, sometimes you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And, <laughs> and this is basically, he had other plans, but it was, it was rich. It was awesome. So I took the next six months and I fasted and prayed. I journaled, you know, the things that the Lord was telling me. But everything that I got was through dreams. And it was by me then asking, I, I thank God for my fundamentalist background. Um, in my early years as a Christian, it was always pounded that no matter what kind of an experience you have or a dream or vision or anything like that, it has to line up book, check, book, chapter, text, and verse with the scriptures. So... I'm glad that I had that because because I didn't settle on just a vision or a dream. I went ahead and studied the Bible. Uh, I didn't just study it on the surface. I studied back to, I was mentored at an early age, two years old in the Lord, and I had a, a man who was finishing his doctorates, kind of uh, following the steps of uh, Walter Martin uh, in the Kingdom of the Cults. He had He taught me how to use all the reference materials to go back to do a scholarly level work 
going back to the original languages, doing word uh, studies, uh, consistency, context, and everything. He taught me a lot and prepared me. It was kind of a symbiotic relationship. Um, I got to learn all this really cool stuff that I geeked out on and enjoyed anyway. And he got free labor to do a lot of the background work for his first book. So that was my mentoring. I've had several other mentors since then. Um, one back to the Hebraic uh, understandings from a from a, a Messianic Jewish perspective. So, I mean, these were treasures in my life that helped prepare me to be and do what I am today. So in 1996, I took that knowledge and 20 years of already working in the inner city um, with uh, in ministry. And I took all of this and I began to um, compile a journal of the things that the Lord told me that ended up becoming my book. Now, so surprisingly... My book was originally written in 1997-98, and I didn't get it published until I lived in Roswell, New Mexico in 2004. But even though that's almost 20 years ago that I wrote my book, pe people are just now starting to discuss the topics that I cover, especially the ones on time travel and hollow earth. I've been doing this for 20-some years, so it's nothing new to me, but for, um, I guess, time has finally caught up. I was too far ahead of my time in, in that day. Um, I even had people come up and say, man, you know, I love the way you connect these dots, but I can't take this back to my church. They're, they're going to throw me out. It's just too ahead of its time. So now it's not. Now it's caught up to time and now it's become relevant. So even though my book is 20 years old, it's discussing topics that are only beginning to be broadly discussed now on a large scale. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, your book clearly was ahead of its time if you were getting all that stuff back then. Uh, and now, I mean, these things are very, very much talked about. Within the last, what, three, four, five years, I mean, it's been on the rise. And so, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting, though, that you had that all this, you know, foreknowledge beforehand. That's uh, I find that very interesting. So you said about Roswell and living in Roswell. Why'd you move to Roswell? <laughs> because God said to. <laughs> no. Good reason. This, this is crazy. When I uh, when I met my wife, I um, this was 14 years ago, and I told her, I gave her a, a, a um, oh, what would you call it? Like a, you know, buyer beware label. Uh, I, I told her, I said, now look, you know, I'm going to be going to places that nobody else is going to want to go. And I, I know this. Um, as I get more involved, this is going to be, you know, probably the strangest ministry you've ever even known or thought about. So, you know, kind of count the cost if you want to get hooked up with me. It's going to be a, a weird road to go to. Now, we were only married for three months, and I did my first speech, uh, speaking engagement at the Ancient of Days in 2003. And when I came back, I, I had confirmation. Uh, the Lord was telling me that I would be moving there. I didn't know how to tell my new wife of only three months old that we were going to both. I was going to sell out my business. She was going to leave a career job, a highly paid career job. And we were going to go to a little city where we knew nobody had no job, no nothing lined up uh, because God wanted us to be there. So I'm, I'm kind of nervous, wondering how I'm going to tell her. So when I got back home um, from the speaking engagement, I said, uh, "Hon, I got something I got to tell you. And she says, I know we're moving to Roswell, aren't we? Wow. <laughs> well, it made that easy, didn't it? <laughs> so, um, so we did. We packed up everything and we left. And, and the Lord just said, to, you know, just to go. 
So by faith, we had to, you know, believe that he was going to, you know, provide for us. And he did. Within two years' time of going down there, I had um, my own store right across from the International UFO Museum. It was kind of a, it was a bookstore wannabe um, museum. And what I had was, uh, I had every super or paranormal topic, every element of the story, um, of a 21st century gospel, um, everything that the Lord had showed me, I put out on storyboard form. So it covered from Genesis to Revelations and then every topic. So I had all the books by all the authors that I knew of at the time uh, that were Christians. And then I also had um, my own book. And I kind of set it up as a museum. I also used to do metal sculpture work. So I was making different sculptures depicting the scenes of the te- uh, themes and topics um, that that people could focus in on and, and look at what they wanted to. I'd actually have people come into my store and they'd stay there for maybe a half hour, 45 minutes, just reading everything on the boards. So I just you would, you know, let them go back and enjoy. And we ended up having a refreshment area and, and some tables and made like a coffee house there so that they could stay and, and enjoy it. And air conditioning, because when you're living in 104 degree weather, uh, <laughs> I don't want air. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, wow, that's fascinating. Uh, when you were talking about your book, you mentioned about the uh, the alien abduction. Uh, how did that all start? When when did you like? How did you realize what was happening around you? You know, actually, I didn't realize that anything really real was happening until I was about forty two years old, starting to investigate the whole alien abduction phenomena. But um, and as I did, I realized, my gosh, this defines my whole childhood. Man, you know, I was convinced that I was having science fiction dreams. I mean, you know, face it, just looking at a natural way, um, I was obsessed with the space program. I watched tons of science fiction movies, especially about aliens. That was my main, you know, topic and interest. So I'm having all this come in, so it's only natural I'm going to have these kind of dreams. And I thought that's all it ever was. And just an overworked imagination and, you know, childhood dreams, monster in the closet, under the bed kind of thing. And uh, so what happened was from about five years old to about 12 years old, I had been continually abducted by the what's called the Nordics, which uh, was probably a little easier because I didn't have all the horrendous, you know, poking and prodding and, and genetic stuff going on that the greys were involved in. Not that they were any different. They're all you know, bad guys on the same team, just certain ones were portraying themselves as the good guys and the other ones were portraying themselves as the bad guys. And uh, the Nordics being the good guys, the, the little gray aliens or the insectoids, uh, uh, reptilians being the bad ones. So <clears throat> in my dreams or recollection, um, you know, a lot of times I actually enjoyed it and I was kind of excited, you know, that I was going to have another science fiction dream again. Um and mixed feelings, but mostly excitement. I thought, oh, they're kind of cool. I like these kind of dreams. I'm in a spaceship and I'm traveling around, you know, far out in the space or whatever. Now, in saying all that, I don't know how much was actually real and how much was staged, you know, to make me believe that I was actually in space. Um, the bottom line, though, is that something very real was happening. And I was being abducted and taken physically away from my bed at night to some realm somewhere. Uh, to be programmed, to be conditioned uh, in preparation for something in the future. This is what the Nordics uh, generally, when they are abducting, they're not involved so much in the uh, genetic manipulation or anything. They are 
involved mainly in programming or reprogramming uh, people's minds to be in tune with uh, the paranormal uh, and also to prepare for some duties that they want people to perform somewhere down the road later in, in life. Um, implants also are, are included. So with me, I was a throwaway at about 12 years old, I think right about puberty. Somehow I didn't measure up to what they wanted. So now some people have been concerned. They said, well, you know, aren't you, you know, you've got an implant and everything. Aren't you worried that, you know, how do you know how much is real and, and how much is them? Well, I look at it this way. Um, that happened in the late 50s. And like I said, in two months, I'll be 66 years old. So I've spent, when I got saved, I was 23. And since 20, uh, the year, uh, at the age of 23, I've spent the last 43 years exposing every uh, new trick that the enemy has um, tried to perpetrate on mankind, um, including, you know, the whole UFO alien deception. So spending my life dedicated and committed to exposing the works of the enemy, I kind of think that whatever implant or whatever is there isn't kind of working too well. I know sure. it's not working too well for them. And, and so as a matter of fact, um, you know, it's not something I go around and advertise a lot, but uh, when I went to out to California to L.A. Marzulli's home to film um, Watchers 7, um, I had mentioned about my abduction, and he kind of freaked. He says, I didn't know you were abducted. I said, well, L.A., it's not exactly something I'm going to you know, share with everyone, but I thought I'd mention it to you. And I said, yeah, and I think I got something in my head that they put in, too. Oh, no, really? Oh, well, you know, Roger Lear is a good friend of mine. He's only a couple of miles away. Let's set up an, uh, an appointment. So he set up a, an appointment with me. I went and saw Roger Lear. For anybody that doesn't know Dr. Roger Lear, he's the, the podiatrist that was a surgeon that removes alien implants. Uh, for people and he has a whole testing procedure and everything he had it really down to a science i met him man he was like your favorite uncle or grandpa i mean just a really kind uh gentle person and very generous into doing what he was doing he, the only one that i know of that removes transplants now the reason i wanted it out was not because i was concerned or fearful you know that what it was doing or anything i just thought it, i collect weird stuff and i just thought that well, how cool it would be to have that on my shelf with all the rest of my other weird stuff <laughs> and an implant or you know from a fallen angel whatever you know it just right. it wasn't the belonged there and here look i got it i got it in this little while i thought that would be so cool they did a complete testing on me and um the little bump in the back of my head that I thought it was ended up being just a fleshly uh, element. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't the actual thing. So it was deeper in my uh, brain. So he told me that he didn't have the equipment to do a CAT scan here, but I'd have to go home and get one. Well, uh, being on social security, I didn't exactly have the extra money myself to go pay for a CAT scan. So I tried to get it set up so I could through my doctor, who was also a friend of mine, um, that he could get it done on uh, through Medicare. So we were trying to figure out a way to, be able to do that, you know, in a right way. And uh, by the time I did get it all prepared, Roger, uh, Dr. Lear passed on uh, and died. So I was probably one of the, the last cases of people he worked with. So I never got it resolved. I never got the thing dug out. Really wanted to put that in a little vial and have it on my shelf. But so, um, you know, that didn't work. But, but um, the idea is that I was a throwaway somehow. I failed to measure up. And, you know, 
that's good with me. I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm glad that um, it ended. But what it did do, as I began to understand more of the typical traits and situations that happened, um, as I was studying this and it was redefining my life, I would remember that I would hear a buzzing in my ears and I knew, uh-oh, I'm going to have a science fiction dream tonight. The next thing that would happen that night when I'm going to bed, I could see out of the peripheral vision of my eyes, I could sense like a shadow person or something that was in my room. And they would talk to me in my mind, but I couldn't actually see them. And usually by then I was so scared, I threw the covers over my head, passed out, or they put me out. And the next thing you know, I'm having a dream like I'm flying. And the next thing I know, I'm in a, in a ship um, with these tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Nordics in a kind of a bluish-looking jumpsuit. And uh, um, that's mostly of the memories that I have. Um, I remember one time they told me we were out, you know, in a certain section of space and I got a little dizzy and a, um, upset to my stomach. Cause I was thinking, my gosh, we're so far away from home. How do I know I can get back? And it was a little scary. Now, whether I was actually there or not, you know, that's remains. I mean, it could have been just a, a staged prop or something, you know, and made me believe that I was actually in space. Sure. Most uh, abductions are only, they only last about two hours, uh, for the time that you're wherever you're going and when you get back. So, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to say, but, um, when I had prayed, Lord, do I know anybody that's been abducted? I did this at 42 years old when I was first starting to uh, look at this and I'm sure the Lord went like this and says, Oh, you know, Jim, if you only knew, and I'm about to tell you, um, yeah, you were, abducted um the ringing in the ears like i said that is the beginning of it um after the math i would have nosebleeds just gushing nosebleeds for no particular reason or purpose i had other bodily functions that were uh hindered and as, as part of a result from being taken i had as i got older i had problems with going up you know astral projection going out of your body i had it happen five times the last time as a Christian, I come against it in the name of Jesus, it stopped immediately and it's never happened again. Um, so there were many, many markers like this that indicated that, oh my gosh, this defines my childhood. And that's when I started praying, Lord, me, really? I went to a MUFON meeting. It was local in my state uh, in 1997. Um, and there I heard two testimonies of people that I'd seen on TV before, too. Never given testimony. I never heard this part. They were talking about how the, the Nordics were getting them to, to make this box fold inside out using their mind. And immediately I had a flash, and I remembered the whole scenario. It's like I remembered the whole abduction, everything. Um, that's exactly what they told me to do. They were telling me to fold this box inside out with my mind. I was sitting here arguing with them saying, this isn't fair. I got a big test tomorrow. I want to do good in life. I want to do good in this test. You got me here all night long playing stupid games. I don't want to play these games. I want to go home. You know, so I'm just whining, whining, whining. And I think that was probably a prevailing attitude that I always had. I'd like to think that maybe my bullheadedness was why they just gave up on me, but it may not be. It just might be that, you know, I didn't measure up here or didn't have the genetic, all the genetic markers that they wanted. I, I don't know. I don't care. Thank you for dropping me off and, and ignoring me. What it did do, though, for me is once I realized that I was, in fact, a victim. Um, now, I got off the hook, I'd say, pretty well scot-free because I, it wasn't a continual thing. But I did experience some of the ripple effects, um, post-traumatic syndrome. 
uh, only an association with certain things that would trigger things off. Now, I was able to resolve that through prayer in my relationship with the Lord. And, and by that time, when I was gathering information um, about UFOs and aliens and everything, I'd already been a pastor for 20 years. So I had 20 years experience, a firm foundation. Um, I knew how to counsel and bring people out of uh, drug, sex, um, alcohol addictions. So realizing that this is a fallen angels, they're physically doing these things, but they're still subject to the same spiritual laws uh, of the weapons of warfare as outlined in Ephesians. Um, it's a different outer veneer, but it's the same enemy subject to the same name and a power and authority of Jesus Christ. So I began prayerfully seeking the Lord and showing, and he was showing me how to develop a two-point method to be able to help people get totally terminated and set free from the alien abduction experience. By moving to Roswell, that was my biggest opportunity because then I, living in Roswell was like better than a a, a PhD or a, you know a, a master's degree in the whole thing. I got to meet pretty much everybody and anybody that's involved in secular or Christian research in this phenomena. Um, with the discernment of the Holy Spirit, the Lord was able to really be able to share and tell me who was real, who was fake, who was a government operative. I mean, I got I got that just from firsthand bearing witness by the Spirit. Um, I also met and made a lot of contacts. I was able to start getting into um, helping people who were victims and seeing total success. And then many of the things that the Lord had shown me before I moved to Roswell, because I had a, now a ministry, Frontline Outreach, I put these things to the test, and it brought forth fruit. It brought forth the changed lives. I I led somebody to the Lord, showing them how time travel was mentioned in the Bible. I led another person, showing them the realities of what cavemen were and what they were not. So a lot of crazy different topics that I was able to firsthand use and see fruitful, productive results. People come back to Christ that, were, that had forsaken their faith. Others that um, uh, came to it the first time because they heard the gospel in a 21st century outlook rather than fairy tale childlike things that right. have been passed down to us. Yeah, you know, I find that very interesting because, uh, you know, when I first started looking into a lot of this stuff, and I know you talk, talk about this kind of stuff in your book, uh, but when I started looking into the Nephilim and all these different things that for whatever reason, most of my life, I either didn't pay attention to or just thought it wasn't real. Uh, you know, once I started looking into it and realizing how re real it is and how deep it is into the Bible, it actually strengthened my faith. And it, it gave me a viewpoint where I was like, I could really see, pe see people's lives being changed by becoming aware of the truth that's within the scriptures that we just don't ever learn in church. Absolutely. I think one of the ner most nervous things that a lot of sincere, well-meaning Christians um, have accused me or, you know, wondered about me was, um, and my friend Dave Flynn used to get this all the time. He was always called a Gnostic. He was, you know, this, that, and everything. No, he happened to have a mind that understood the occult mind, understood the Gnostic mind, and his ministry was separating the truth from the garbage and explaining the garbage according to God's word. So he's actually setting people free. The same thing with the New Age movement. I deal with a lot of the people involved in the New Age. Now, to successfully win them over to Christ, I had to accept and understand a big difference, that there, 
There's an element of the New Age movement that is true. There's actual physics behind the metaphysics. Now, if you're afraid to address that, if you think, oh my gosh, I'm going over to the dark side, you will never be able to reach these people on their level. To address the New Age at its root core, you have to realize that there are, there are physics behind some of the stuff that's real. Just because it's real doesn't make it good, it doesn't make it right, it just makes it real. We address that real part, we go back to the scriptures perfectly, and we can get an answer that refutes every foul lie, every twist of knowledge. Um, there are people that are following the enemy don't realize it are getting they're getting superior knowledge. The Nazis got superior knowledge, but they got it from fallen angels. And this is technology that in itself is not bad, but in, in the hands of fallen man, it's like giving a loaded gun to a child expecting something good's going to happen out of it. It's not. Um, and so this is what the church is going to have to start thinking outside of the box. They're going to have to be not afraid to think outside of the box, but hang on to the first century core of our beliefs, which is centered around Jesus Christ. If you can stick to the core, then you're able to probe yourself into the outside of the box stuff, see the things that are real, address those according to what the Word of God can show you. Instead of you know getting ready to you know run me off on a rail and tar and feather me, listen to the realities. But more important, see the results. How many when I when I have people that are well-meaning Christians saying that you know well that's new age you shouldn't even be looking at that, I have to ask them how many psychics have you led to the Lord? I can tell you that I have. Um, we've established friendship uh, relationships. We have not com compromised our faith one one bit, and we've had two psychics quit doing what they're doing. One came to Christ and now is a part of our group. Now you might say, well, that's, you know, one person. Well, you know what? That's one more person than most people have ever done. I don't know anybody that's leading a whole lot of people uh, from the New Age movement uh, to Christ. But I am because I'm onto something. I'm onto something that bears fruit, that brings hope to people that are so blind. I mean, it's like, it's like going into the Catholic Church and convincing a cardinal to become a born-again Christian. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a little while. And this is what's happening with the ministry that I'm involved in. And uh, I think it's I think it's great. I think it's awesome. We have answers. We have answers that are powerful answers that bring people back to Christ. You'd be surprised how many Christians have forsaken their faith and gone over to the New Age because they see an element of science and technology that produces results. It's an act of rebellion because God wants to be our source of everything. So that's where I say the technology is not in itself inherently evil. But when it becomes a replacement for seeking knowledge, wisdom, or answers instead of God, it becomes an act of rebelliousness. And that's where Satan is the smooth, slick operator. He doesn't come – I mean, these people are not um, – secretly worshiping satan or anything my gosh the majority of people that are psychics think they are light workers serving uh serving god in the most general sense um or actually saying that they love jesus thinking they're doing work for jesus and they're not now that that isn't all of them there's also a large majority that think they're serving the universe as if the universe is some impersonal creator that they're following which I think is so funny. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's like, okay, so 
the Akashic, now, and I asked, I want a definition. I said, so to clarify this then, so you're saying that, that um, my belief in a personal God is silly, but your belief that you keep mentioning the universe wills, the universe this, the universe that. So the universe, you're saying, basically is a collective consciousness, right? The Akashic record? Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, okay, so you're worshiping the hard drive. And I'd rather go ahead and worship the, the core where the electricity is coming from, where everything is coming from. And that happens to be a person, and that person is named Jesus Christ. So you're worshiping a hard drive that is got to be programmed to disseminate information. So this impersonal hard drive is giving out information not based on love, not based on anything other than it's programmed to do that. Now, don't you get it? It's programmed. So who programmed it? Who's programming the Akashic Record? I can tell you one thing, it ain't God. So you're sitting there worshiping a hard drive. I'm sitting there worshiping the Creator. It just makes more sense that how lonely it is for you. You're worshiping some impersonal cosmic gas force out in, in space um, that just makes a decision based on a program law. If you do this, okay, then you get this, you get this, you get this. Um, I get because I love God, because he loves me. How lonely it must be for you that you have this impersonal cosmic hard drive that gives out indiscriminately just based on a programmed um, yes or no. I receive because he received me. It doesn't get better than that. I, I am filled with a love connection. You got nothing. That's lonely. That's sad. And they're beginning to respond. I had one psychic come up to me and he says, you know, everything's all about light, sound, and vibration. I said, yeah, absolutely. You want to show me? I'll show you in scripture where it, just, where it says that. Are you serious? What? In the Bible? It, it describes that? How much is your book anyway? <laughs> so, I mean, it just, it takes time and patience and loving them where they're at. I mean, yeah. we, we approach the New Agers like, Matt, like Jesus approached Matthew. Matthew put Jesus to the test. He, he wanted to see if he was like the other hypocritical Pharisees, because it was forbidden to them to even come in company with a Gentile, let alone go into an equivalency of a bar and actually rub elbows with them. Oh, God forbid. That's wrong. So Matthew invited me. He says, I'm going to have a celebration tonight. Uh, you want to come? Okay, I'll be there. Blew his mind. Then he goes in there. He didn't jump on you know the women that were obviously prostitutes or um a tax collector, which was about the scum of the earth at that time, um, he instead chose to tell them a story about a father and a son, the prodigal son, about forgiveness, about acceptance. And that's all we're doing. We we have to be the Jesus they never saw. Most of them came from Catholics, very liturgical, stand up, sit down, and also with you. And no, the Word of God is never mentioned or described or uh, proclaimed with any kind of understanding. So these people... Most of them had left the church because they wanted a deeper connection. They wanted something intimate, something personal, something powerful. Unfortunately, they fell into the wrong things. They fell into Satan's counterfeit for everything. Now, these people can't be looked at as evil spreading evil. They're the blind leading the blind. And the only way they're going to have their eyes open is if we stand in the gap, provide them with sound answers from God's word and giving them the hope. Some of these people are flipped out when they find out that I know as much or more of the roots of their beliefs 
and Helena Blavatsky, the secret doctor, and all, you know, Nikola Tesla and all of the out-of-the-box technologies. When they know that I know as much as they know about what they know, but I've chosen Jesus. It just, how can that be? Because you don't know the Jesus that I know. You're comparing it to dead religion that I also agree is it's dead. It's worthless. I'm not a religious person. I have a relationship with my creator. It's pretty fun. You want to see what it's like? And there's going to be a lot more coming. I know there's going to be a lot more coming. Yeah, I believe. It. I mean, you're, you speak so passionately about this stuff. And, uh, you, you know, you mentioned about how you're showing these people what's in the Bible and they're so shocked about it. You know, you talk about in your book about the hollow earth. You talk about uh, Nephilim and things like that. You make a connection where the hollow earth and the Nazi connection. Uh, and I think that's fascinating because you do use the Bible to back up what you talk about. Whereas a lot of people who are on the hollow earth kick right now, a lot of them aren't using the Bible to back up what their thoughts are. And I was wondering if you could kind of go into that as far as how, you know, you drew those connections. Sure. Um, you know, the, the thing is, is, and this is kind of a rule for me, I keep an open mind. I consider everything that has got uh, biblically based backing for it. I mean, well, especially end time events that haven't happened yet. You know, I'm I'm going to stay loose and I've, I've got, you know, thoughts and ideas that I think were revealed to me by the Lord. But even then, it's not that I'm doubting God, but I have to doubt me. I have to have a certain element that as long as I'm stuck in this earth suit, I'm not going to get everything 100% pure and I'm not going to know all of it, the whole answer. So if I'm smart, and I'd like to think that after making so many mistakes in the last 43 years that I uh, have learned a little bit um, of wisdom, it's not to, not to do the same thing that the Jews did, which they, they figured they had their dogmas and doctrines all figured out. We know that when Messiah comes, he's going to free us from the Romans. He's going to do this, this, and this. Here they are talking face-to-face to everything they ever hoped for or desired because they're so filled with man-made traditions and doctrines they didn't even see who he was for who he was. And we can do the same thing, and I think maybe even have, you know, that that uh, we can be so filled with traditional things of men, we think we can take a little fold-out pamphlet, and we know everything that's going to happen in the end times and how it's going to be. I, By the time we think we've got it all figured out, God always shows us that we haven't got nothing figured out. And uh, I think many things are going to be quite different than what we expect them to be. And the only wise thing we can do is take and consider everything that has a scriptural backing to it and put it in the back of our mind and just patiently wait. I don't think some of these things are going to be revealed to any of us unless it's an aha moment when all of us are going to get it at the same time. Why? Because human nature. If we think we get it all figured out ahead of time, we're going to get cocky, puffed up, minded with it, or or even lax. Well, I can coast for a while because this hasn't happened yet and that hasn't happened. Gosh, I've had people say, well, you know um, – you know, I'll follow God. When that mark comes out and I see it, man, that's when I'm going to get, you know, dude, if you're not willing to follow him right now, you're not even going to see it happen when it happens. Right. You're going to be first in line to, to go ahead and take it because, and however way you think it's going to be, it's going to be something different. And you're, you're, you're not going to follow him now. You're not going to follow him later. Now is the time to follow him. So, so with that, the hollow earth, when I first heard about a hollow earth, I was reading about, um, the last bastion of Nazis, where they had escaped and how they had dispersed. And I heard about this um, base 211 in the Antarctic that the Nazis had discovered an opening to a hollow earth and made an alignment with with residents that were down there. 
Now, I've always been kind of a history freak. I knew a lot of uh, the Nazis, what they did, how they believed, what they, you know, why they did some of the things they did. Uh, but that one, I, I hysterically laughed. I thought this is the most kicked in the head, weird thing I've ever heard. It's, it's got to be, it's ridiculous. And, um, and I, you know, didn't give it another thought. I thought it was just crazy. Now, the Lord had a way for me to tap me on the shoulder and say, listen, kid, I'm trying to tell you, show you something serious here. It wasn't but maybe a, a week after I had laughed about this whole idea of a base 211 escape Nazis and an inner alliance from a hollow earth that um, my son come up to me. He's only he's 30, almost 36 now. He was 12 years old then. And he come up to me and says, hey, Dad, can we do a Bible study together? Now, when he was meeting Bible study together, he saw how I had this computer program uh, with about 80 reference books on there. And I would do, you know, a complete exhaustive study on a word or whatever. I just would geek out. I love doing this. I, You know, the thing is that I have an addictive personality. And many of us do. Most of us do. Now, what I choose to do with that person, addictive tendency uh, can be positive or negative in, in depending on how I do it. Now, I... After I became a Christian, I wanted to focus that on something positive. So that's where I geeked out into researching. I can I can do a study 14, 15 hours, forget to eat anything at all um, through the whole day because I'm just wrapped up and involved in it. And uh, this is a choice that I made on my own. And I'm glad that I did because I've been able to find a lot of pretty cool stuff. So my son comes up to me, he says, Dad, can we do a, a study? He was wanting to do a study on the computer, you know, and, and go through everything. And I'm thinking, 12 years old, hormones raging. Heck, yeah, I want to get you involved in the Word of God. And then he finishes the sentence. He says, can we do a study on hell? <laughs> I think I'm keeping a poker face when I'm going, oh, geez, kid, can't you think of something a little more upbeat than that? Hell, seriously? But I said, I smiled and I said, sure, son, we'll do one on hell. So scriptures that I had taught that I'd read, seen, you know, 20-some years. For the first time in my life, man, they're jumping right off the page. And I go, oh, my gosh. This stuff is what I read and laughed about last week. This stuff is real. Here's the scripture. My gosh. Holes at the poles, a hollow earth. Are you sick? Oh, my gosh. This is all real. Then I found scriptures about the end of World War II. I found scriptures that... The way the Lord showed me was the same but opposite. There was a prophecy in Amos about uh, the Jews after 70 AD being dispersed, and though they would try to ascend into heaven and dig into hell, God would find them. This was rhetorically meaning that it was impossible at that time for anybody to do either one. But in the same but opposite, when the Nazis were dispersed, that's exactly what they did. They were trying to ascend into heaven and dig into hell, literally. They were looking for a hollow earth to realign themselves according to Nazi Aryan prophecies um, where they would gain the whole surface of the world by this alignment, that there was a purebred Aryan that lived inside the earth and that they were the genetic diluted strain outside destined to realign themselves um, with the inner earth. And I found scripture that went back and support that. And I'm going, this is twilight zone, man. Are you serious? This is who's ever going to believe this stuff. But in time, the word always, the Holy Spirit will back his word. And so, you know, at great risk of being the, the nut, kind of the David Icke of Christendom, I've been proclaiming this hollow earth stuff for 21 years. I've been proclaiming the Nazi technology, uh, how they got it, 
for 21 years. Now it's only just recently a top hot subject that people are talking about. So there are many scriptures uh, in the Old Testament talk about uh, the paunch or a two-part. Um, it says in one, it's talking about, um, there's one where it's comparing an analogy of giving of being birthed. Um, and it's talking about a two-chambered inner pocket. And he's referring, um, I think it's David or Solomon. I don't know which, uh, King Solomon. I don't know which one wrote this part. Some of, both of them wrote different sections in the Psalms. Everybody thinks David wrote all of them. No, Solomon wrote some of them. I'm not sure which one wrote this one, but it was describing about being born in the inward parts, the lower parts of the earth. Well, it wasn't that they were born in the lower parts of the earth. When you go back to the Hebrew there, it's actually comparing something that the Hebrew mind knew automatically. They compared the uh, woman's um, ovaries and everything as being a two-chambered pocket that's where the New Agers get the idea of Gaia being the name for the Earth Mother. But even in, in Hebrew language and ideology, they compared the womb of the Earth as being the womb of, of the Mother. So that's why the strange language there, it's not saying that he was born in the inward parts of the Earth. He was comparing the inward parts of the Earth as the um, as the ovaries and, and the whole female system being in two different parts. Another scripture talking about uh, the pains of hell are, were around me. When you look at the Hebrew there, it's talking about a two-chambered idea. A stomach, uh, actually it was a, compared it to a stomach of a cow, and a cow has more than one stomach. So again, two chambers. Now, the interesting thing to that is Jesus himself said in a, in a story about Lazarus and the rich man, you know, that Lazarus died, he went to the lower chamber of Sheol, and there was a chasm separating the upper from the lower. And then, I'm sorry, the rich man died and went to Sheol. Lazarus died, and he went into Abraham's bosom. Now, I've even read commentaries where they're saying that was the fondness. They were meaning the Buddhism as a chest, and so it was the fondness that Abraham had for those that died in faith. No, wrong. When you actually take uh, customs and manners, and I looked it up in my Unger's uh, Bible dictionary, but... Um, you can take a course, and, and I, I did take a course. It was very interesting in Bible college. It's on uh, customs and manners, and it's customs and manners not only of the Hebrew culture but all of the ancient cultures. So there's certain customs, certain uh, language that was known then that's no longer understood today. A bosom in the days of the times when people wore a toga, the toga was tied at the waist you know, with a sash, and then the bosom was the forepart of the of the garment where it was like a pocket where you could just kind of hang your hand there or you would go into market and you would put stuff in this inner pocket or a shepherd would put a young straight sheep into this pocket and then carry it but the idea is it was an inner pocket so abraham's bosom was an inner pocket inside the earth inside a hollow earth now what's interesting about that is that that um jesus said that this was abraham's bosom an inner pocket. Now, when Jesus hung on the cross, there was two thieves. One was angry and, and mocking, and the other one said, "said When you get to your kingdom, please remember me." He was he was repentant. He was asking forgiveness, and he said, "This day, this day, you shall be with me in paradise." Now, Peter says that 
he that ascended first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He went inside. He went inside both chambers. Now, he did it at different times. When Jesus died, his soul went into Abraham's bosom, paradise. The thief's soul went into paradise. Paradise is, you know, they were there as disembodied souls in this chamber. Jesus proclaimed to all those that died in faith that now I am become the bridge. Now you are ascended into heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no need for this inner chamber anymore. I am the bridge bringing people back into the very presence of God the Father. So um, that happened. What's interesting is when Jesus rose then after the third day, then it says that some of the Old Testament saints went into Jerusalem and was witnessing to the resurrection. Now, that'd be pretty darn convincing, I think, when you see that, you know, these Old Testament people walking around that were dead and now they're alive and now they're proclaiming uh, Jesus. So Jesus, we know, did not ascend into heaven until 40 days after. But now that he's now that he's rose again, guess what? He's the father is with him. I and the father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And he is now fully embodied with the power of the Holy Spirit. He's now, he's, now he's God complete, three in one. Jesus is a total embodiment of, of God in the flesh. Now the resurrected flesh. And guess where he went? He went into Sheol. Now there's a heretical doctrine that some TV evangelist, I'm not going to mention his name, says that Jesus died and was tormented in hell. Are you kidding Peter says that he made an open show of humiliation to those that had died, not that spirits being human spirits, but to the spirits in prison. These were the Genesis 6 spirits, the disembodied spirits, that were the hybrids and their, their offspring, the sons, uh, the sons of God, the Nephilim, the fallen ones, whatever label you want to call them. They're bad guys. They try to, they try to beat God at the uh, punch, and by contaminating the entire human race, it would have prevented Jesus from being able to be incarnate into the human race because the genetics would have been all messed up. They were only eight people away from, from victory. But God kept the eight people, you know, survived, and, and through that genetic line, he was able to accomplish. So he came there as the triumphant victor. He came there to, to not only humiliate them, but he gave a certain message to them. And uh, Peter says that he proclaimed something to them. He didn't preach. It's The word says preach, but it wasn't like he was going down and preaching the gospel to them. They're, they're hopeless. You're, you know, you're, you're not, not going to waste the time with that. What they preached was just a, um, he, it just meant he made a statement. Now, I found where that statement is, and it's in uh, Isaiah 26, uh, beginning at, I think it's 10 or 13. No, it's 13. It's talking about, um, oh, Lord, there's other lords have been um, given unto us. And it literally means the authority of a, uh, a husband has over a, a wife. And it was a marriage situation. We have been married to others, but only by you will we mention. And it says, then it's a rhetorical question. It says, they are dead, meaning literally dead. They're not alive. It says, they are the Rapha, the ghosts of the giants, the deceits uh, of them, the disembodied spirits. They will not resurrect. But then the very next verse overturns that statement. This is a statement saying, this is your natural condition. But then it says, but he has visited you and caused you to, uh, to your own destruction. And let's see, I'm paraphrasing it, and it's not quite accurate. But basically, it's that he has visited you and destroyed you, even that your name would not be remembered. So 
visited there is a key word. Pechad is the Hebrew word for, for that. And it literally means to intervene in the natural courses of events. So we see the one verse giving the natural courses of events. And now Jesus has gone down there and he's visited them. He is causing another statement. And that's the statement that you're going to be mustered up to your own destruction as an army. And that's the other word. Now, Sarah was visited by the angel and given the ability to have birth of a child way past childbearing ages. That's the same word, Picard. Picard also has another meaning. It means to be mustered up as an army. Now, that goes right in conjunction with Second um, Peter, where it says that the angels had sinned. He had cast them into everlasting chains of darkness. Now, we're always thinking of shackles or chains in some dark place. That's not what it says. you got to go back to every Greek word and look at the sentence structure. Paradetomai means to be held in reserve, not from escaping, but for a purpose or a particular function. And that function was to be mustered up as an army to your own total destruction. Reserved in – now, here's a logical thing to think about. If, if they are incorporeal disembodied spirits, how do you shackle them up? How do you chain them? That's a good point. How does that work? It doesn't work. But the word shackle has another meaning. It means a cycle of going up and down. Now, how, okay, Jim, what's the cycle of going up and down? The cycle of going up and down is when we entertain any kind of way or means of trying to obtain information, power, knowledge, other than through Jesus Christ through prayer. We open up portals. To allow these entities to come in. Play with a Ouija board in your own home. Play with a pencil. Say, if it goes here, it means this. If it goes here, it means that. That is an act of rebellion. That is an act that opens up a portal and allows these things to come up from the pit where they're trapped and right into your house, right into your home, maybe even into your own mind and soul as a trespassing. So in the name and authority of Jesus, they're cast back down. That's the cycle of going up and down. And we know from deliverance, we know from um, from all the occult activity that there's a close association with electromagnetics, electricity in general, turning off and on of lights, TVs, and everything. There's all kinds of anomalous, weird things that go on. So the cycle they're trapped in is an electromagnetic trap. This is where the pit actually is. It's an etherical pit. There's a real pit, a literal physical hollow earth pit, but there's also an etherical pit where it's like, they're in this never-never electrical um, trap. Eventually, they're going to be called out of it back into a physical as an invader. But for right now, they're in this cycle of going up and down, up and down. When the demons asked uh, Jesus, are you come to torment us ahead of our time? They know they're going to be gathered up sometime. They think for their judgment. But after, now keep in mind, that was before Jesus had died and gone down there. So after he died and gone down there, he gave him a little clarification on that. You know, I'm going to let you come up here. You can have your final shot, but it's going to be to your total destruction. And you're not even going to be remembered. So that's the way it's going to be. So he's, he tells this in, um, oh, let's see. He tells this in Isaiah 26. The word Picard, key word there. Now let's go to Isaiah 24. This is how come it's, see, what I'm showing you, not only the, the reality of a hollow earth, but why we need to know about a hollow earth. Right. Because in Revelation 9, it says something's coming from inside of the earth to the outside of the earth. Now, is this just in some etherical never-never land? No, it's literal physical. And I got 
to tell you something, it's not a, a genetically modified grasshopper. It looks like a scorpion with a human head and long hair and lion's teeth. That's an eight-point uh, definition that actually tells you something very different if you let the Bible interpret itself by itself. And I can prove that, but i got to get back to the other scripture first because it's really <laughs> cool. Isaiah 24th chapter, verse, beginning at verse 10, the earth will reel, the earth reeled to and fro like a drunkard. Now, in context, you're looking at this. This is an earth axis rotation. How can I prove that? Well, because it says right after that, it says, and he took the ones on high and the kings of the earth, and he put them in a pit until shortly they would be visited. Picard. Internet is supernaturally intervened in the natural course of the event. They're going to be released back out. That's when Jesus came and proclaimed that. But there has to be this earth axis shift. So this is why it's important. Now, there's many scriptures in Job that tell us that there's holes at the poles that were covered over by ice. One would be broken into. I've got all of this in my video on the Antarctic series. I've got it on um, several other videos. Um, and I do have it in my book. And I've had it there for, gosh, 20-some years. And now it's just beginning to un be understood. But it's, it's all there. And what happens is, when there's an, imagine a cylindrical key. It goes in, something shifts, and the X and Y axis are laminated together, and something could come out or go in. So there's an angel that has a key to the bottomless pit. And it goes in and opens the pit, but something has to shift. Now we read from Isaiah uh, 24 that the earth shifts. Guess what's going to happen? This September, theoretical scientists are saying that the Earth is going to do be due for another uh, magnetic and literal axis shift. We had one in 2011. Most people didn't feel it. You didn't feel like you were falling off the Earth or anything changed. We had to change all of the recalibrate all the airports around the uh, equator because it had been it had advanced that much that they couldn't land safely until they recalibrated everything. Um, the sun came over delayed or no, came over two days ahead of time in in Greenland. These are some of the the actual physical proofs that we did have an axis shift. Where it's due for they say uh, we're due for another one um, sometime in the fall of this year. CERN is also going to be fired up sometime in the fall of this year. Do a little research. Do uh, listen to Anthony Patch's work that he has on CERN. This guy is a top guy on, on knowing anything about that. And you'll see that I, I'm not trying to date sit here, but it's very likely that something is have if CERN is going to fire up the same time we're going to have an Earth axis. There's your key that opens up the bottomless pit, and that's why it's important to know of a hollow Earth. Now, I can prove that the eight-point description in Revelation 9 is not describing genetically modified, weird grasshopper, scorpion-looking things. It gives you, but you let the Bible interpret itself by itself. I've got a, um, a video series out, uh, The Locust Invasion. This is newer stuff. It's not in my book. The Locust Invasion is telling us that basically it's a He-Man-looking uh, famous warrior type um, a large buffed um, He-Man looking types that are heroes that are recognized as heroes. I say pretending to be angels in a fake second coming. 
Um, there'll be a fake rapture. There'll be a fake everything that everybody's expecting. There's going to be a phony one before the real one. I truly believe the Lord, uh, in an audible voice, one of three times, he spoke that to me. That when I understood that every, Satan's going to do everything in the same and opposite fashion, then you'll understand the patterns. You'll see everything fit in from World War II and, and all throughout history. So, so I believe that this might be what we are faced with very soon, is this opening up of the pit. CERN is saying that they are trying to bring in another dimension into this dimension. That's why they gave uh, India gave them the, the statue of Shiva doing the destruction of the elements. Um, I think it's no coincidence that CERN, Switzerland, uh, where the location of CERN is, is exactly in the center position and probably part of an electromagnetic uh, ley lines that are around the globe. They put it there on purpose there. But in ancient Roman times, that was exactly where the uh, the temple to Apollyon was. And what's the name of the leader of the locust invasion that comes out of the bottomless pit? Apollyon. Can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's just very obvious what is right under our nose and right between our eyes. That can't be a coincidence. Um, just like the whole Nazis, what have they got to do with it? Well, um, if some of you don't realize yet, now, we had a New Testament and an Old Testament. The Old Testament, basically, the Hebrews were to come out from among them and be separate. It was based on a national identity and a specific bloodline. Now, after Christ, it's offered to whosoever will, believing in Christ, that we can all be spiritually um, the seed of Abraham. Um, theosophy has concocted and put together by Helena Velasky. I call her the anti-Moses. She is the one that took everything metaphysical, everything cutting-edge uh, uh, science in her day in the 1880s, um, everything occult, mystery schools, uh, myths, legends. She put it all together in one cohesive thought and package. It literally, parts of her book read out like the, the same but opposite of Deuteronomy, of uh, Exodus, uh, about a chosen race, um, there was to be come out and be separate. Now, Helena Vablaski is the umbrella. They, they call her, uh, LA Times had called her the uh, godmother of the new age. She was the provider or umbrella for all things new age, um, has its roots in theosophy, which, which is what she concocted. Now, believe it or not, theosophy was the official Third Reich religion that made them a specific occult government. Everything they did, everything they said, every icon they had, uh, all was centered around the occult, and it was all centered around the beliefs and writings of Helena Blavatsky, because this is theosophy in its Old Testament version, based on a bloodline and national identity, the Aryan and Germany. Now, after the death, and I say, resurrection of that individual, it's empowered by all the disembodied spirits, and now it's based on whosoever believes that man can ascend to his own Godhead now becomes a spiritual area. So the whole the whole thing, you would think, my gosh, you're trying to tell me that the New Agers and Nazis are one and the same? Yeah, they are. They follow the same belief system. One is a New Testament version. The other is an Old Testament version. The best book ever written that makes this correlation 
is uh, Hidden Dangers Behind the Rainbow by Constance Cumbie. I highly suggest you read it. You'll make the connection and see that the ideology is the same. So that the new Nazis are not skinhead Nazis. They're the Old Testament remnant leftover. The new Nazis are, um, are New Agers. And then when you see the influence, follow the money trail, everything that supported the Nazi agenda during World War II has switched over to the United Nations agenda. The United Nations agenda is a theosophical one. Uh, when you hear this new pope talking about baptizing aliens, no matter how many tentacles they have, uh, they have the Lucifer telescope, they are getting ready to accept theosophy. When theosophy and the Roman Empire, um, unholy Roman Empire, I'll call them, when they come together, there's your one world end time religion. It will not be a religion based on anything on mankind's earthbound beliefs. It's going to be presented as an extraterrestrial belief. Nothing on this earth is going to bring all the kingdoms together, whether it be Christianity, Islam, um, Hinduism, nothing. It's going to have to be something outside of this earth that comes down with superior technology, with superior, with, I mean, what they're going to come down with is science and technology where the, the blind will see, the lame will walk, and the dead will rise. They're going to do everything in the same and opposite Jesus did, and they're going to just befuddle everybody. But they're going to do it under the guise of being the second coming of Christ. So this is a deception that I think we're just, uh, you know, on the verge of, of having. And here's my proof. Look, I mean, for any of your audience there that can look up in a lexicon, now there's uh, to do an honest study, you got to use way beyond a lexicon. You got to use a lot of other material and, and check exhaustively the language and the mechanics to make sure that everything fits right. I actually know how to do that because I've had some good mentoring and, and uh, experience and, and being part of geekendom. geekdom. Um, I learned how to do that. And, but it takes patience, too. It's not a quick, you know, you can't just get the, give me the little gist of it and I'll go on my way. This is a thing where it says to study to show yourself approved, which means you've got to spend some time doing it. And a passion to want to know the answer, not just settle for uh, maybe a surface rendering. So by doing that, in Revelations 9, where it says, And the sounds of their wings is as the sound of many chariots in the battle. Sometimes one word, one word can rock your whole world and just ruin everything that you ever thought you knew. That word sounds, you know, the Lord, I, I was preparing a, um, a um, speech for uh, Prophecy Club, and it was on the hollow earth. And the Lord kept telling me, look this up, look this up. And I'm going, Lord, I got to get this done. I, you know, it's taking me longer than I thought. And two days I'm going to be down in Texas. I got look it up, look it up. So finally, it just wouldn't shake me. I said, okay, fine, I'll look it up. So I looked it up, and the word there, the sound the sound of their wings was the sound of many chariots in the battle. Now, wings there has a symbolic, and I've got this in my book, um, wings has a reference possibly to gravity, a method of flight. So the sounds of their wings is actually telling us it's manipulation of gravity. Sounds this is mind blower here, Twilight Zone time. It's not listening, hearing. The word is phone. When you look up that word, the meaning of the word in the Greek, it means a numerical sequence of numbers, example, and address. Somebody is dialing in length, height, width, and time. 
boom, there's your key. And it's all about sound, vibration. When you understand quantum physics, you begin to see how the D-Wave computer hooked up to CERN. What CERN is doing is sound, light, and vibration, bringing in another dimension. Yeah, it's like a bunch of kids coming up to a hornet's nest, beating it with a stick, thinking something good's going to come out of it. No, hell is going to come out of it. It's the bottomless pit, and it's being dialed in mathematically. It's it's sound. Now, and believe it or not, I got this from the theosophical symbol. I noticed that at times the symbol is 3.14, but then at other times it looks like a little Arabic number. So I did research on it. That little Arabic number, that is the um, that is the harmonic equivalency of 3.14. So in other words, all math formulas have a harmonic, something you would sing out, it has a harmonic equivalency. That harmonic equivalency, that sound, as God spoke everything into existence, that sound is light and vibration that creates things into reality. And so, you know, if you were to sing 3.14, you know what it would be? What's that? Um, um, like meditating? That's three one. That's three point one four. If you were to sing three point one four, that's what it would be. So it's like meditating. Well, it's it's more than that. If you when you understand quantum physics, you are actually putting out something that's going to become real. And so, if I took, I want to go somewhere, and I could like the mathematical formula: length, height, width, and what time I want to go. And I put that into a harmonic equivalency. That punches a hole in space. We already know how to wrap space around. Um, that's what uh, um, uh, Mercury vortex implosion produces. But punching the hole in space, this is where everybody's saying, well, you got to have antimatter and all this stuff. No, that to try to do it in a physical sense is almost impossible. But you speak it out. You speak out that address and harmonically, and it punches a hole, and it directs right to length, height, width, and time that you want to be. It's an address. So it's like time travel. Yeah. And dimensional travel. Time travel and dimensional travel. Wow. And there's one individual, it says in the last days in Daniel 8th chapter, who would be, and it's, and he will determine to change times and laws. And it will be given unto him for a times, times, a time, times, and a dividing of time. That's past, present, and future. It will be given to him. Now, the word in the Aramaic is only used in one other place for times and it's for seasons I, they're doing a shell game with us it's, it's the times and seasons is mentioned in daniel second chapter and it's where daniel is singing the praises of god of how he raises up some and brings down others for it is he that uh, sets the times and seasons now seasons and times is the same thing it means fixed appointed times in other words it's going to be given to one individual to be able to alter certain fixed appointed times for a time times and a dividing of time there's time doubling and then half of it so that's past or present past and future so there's a person who's going to be a, associated with time travel and a certain level of manipulation of time now in my mind when i first heard about the nazis developing ufo craft and they got it derived of all things extracting physics from metaphysics the the god An starts with a Sumerian, which is Anu, 
in uh, Mesopotamian, which is Anubis in the Egyptian, which is Hermes in the Greek, which is Mercury in the Roman. Same God, various functions, but basically the same God through all the different um, cultures and societies. So when you add it all up, he is the healer, the restorer, messenger of swift commerce and trade, and also the healer. Now, they took the Kajasi, the, the double serpent wrapped around right. pole with, with uh, polarities, sometimes only one, sometimes two, and then wings. The Nazi mind said, if we take the element of mercury and put it into a vortex implosion, it's going to produce a new form of electricity that will produce fright, flight, anti-gravity. You put mercury through a vortex, keep it cool, I mean, keep it from freezing, and it'll go at relativistic speeds. It will wrap space around whatever the art of the object is that's what a ufo does that's what the nazis first worked on my gosh we got the names of all the people that worked on the projects before and after the reich where they worked at the facilities we know the names of the the real saucer the hanabu um we know who worked on them we have the drawings we captured and gee they look just like all of the saucers that were seen during the 40s and 50s um from tall blonde hair blue-eyed nordic nordics that spoke german the entire ufoology as we know it today, was patterned and created by um, what I call the the uh, the uh, Nordic aliens from the Antarctic. Where did all the Nazis escape to? Argentina. What is just a stone's throw away from the Antarctic? Base 211 in Queen Maud land. Um, there's a lot of secrets going on down there. Now it's Antarctic is melting. And it's melting not because of global warming. It's melting because one of the currents is slowing down. And it's causing it to melt. What they're saying is that there's a flash frozen civilization underneath. What I think the Antarctic is, is the ancient legends of Atlantis, which was the pre-flood world or part of it, maybe even the capital part of it. But it's coming, it's coming unfrozen and it's been flash frozen, which means nothing has been rusted or or ruined by salt water, it is in pristine, operable conditions right now. This is part of um, a prophecy fulfilled that would never be understood. Euphrates means gushing out, pouring waters. Um, we read in, I think it's the, I could have this wrong, it could be the 16th chapter of Revelations, we read that the, uh, that, um, Something is crossing over the river Euphrates as it dries. 200 million army. And uh, good news for the for the Chinese, it's not you guys. Um, my video, I guess, has gone ballistic over there because I'm giving them new hope. They're not the invading army that causes the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, they aren't, and they can't be. In Joel's second chapter, it clearly says that this is a gathering of a people that have never been before and will never be again. We're not talking about a normal group. We're talking about some kind of Frankenstein thing, the culmination of transhumanism, cybernetics, um, artificial intelligence, everything that has been something that has never been before and will never be again. This is what's going on right now in laboratories in America, our military thinking that they're making the ultimate soldier to keep our soldiers out of harm's way, they're creating this monster shell for these disembodied spirits to take possession of, and they are going to be this last end-time army. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be all manufactured from the United States. We're talking about a global conspiracy. 
the rich elite that are already preparing this, probably in many different areas. Like just as we started out with HARP facility up in Alaska, now it was in Norway. Now there's about 25, 26 HARP facilities all over the world creating a network. And that's a whole another topic of uh, abuse. But, you know, in saying all this, one thing that I, we can rejoice in, and that is that we have God's promise, God's word, that for the faithful remnant that are going to follow him, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And that those that come against us, these are the inheritance of, of God's children. This is a universe, This is one of the scriptures you can use for universal application for anyone and everyone who belongs to God through all time of history. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. That means harp. That means Project Blue Beam. That means any other thing that's coming up from the Antarctic or anything that's been contrived, space-time, whatever. We don't have to worry about it. It doesn't have to control us. We have a promise from God. We're his. He can overrule everything. Um, I like that promise. And other promises, um, the same thing, that, that to him that overcometh will I grant to eat from the tree of life. I mean, there's just so much there that, oh, that's, yeah, that's the other thing. No, don't even want to get into that. <laughs> maybe another show? Yeah, maybe another show. Yeah, that sounds good. It's more about the hollow earth. It's, it's, uh, I don't want to put too much on everybody at one time, you know. It's, <laughs> It's pretty cool, though. But well, you know, can I ask you a question uh, now? You're you're bringing up um, how anarch the anarchy is melting, and earlier you talked about uh, the axis shifting and how it happened in 2011, and they're predicting it happening later this year. Do those two things coincide? And if they do, what happens? I mean, is are, are we talking about something that could possibly open up this year? with the Antarctic melting and these axes shifting with the hollow earth idea? Possibly. I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. I'm saying that possibly. Yeah. I mean, when you see everything else is happening, I mean, man, I, you know, I have lived through so many chicken little events, you know, in 1987, it was uh, Hap Hapkins and Flagman, the lineup of the planets. It was going to put us in the middle of the tribulation. Oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's going to happen any moment now. And, Everybody's hunkering down. Man, I know people that raised, I mean, that that maxed the levels of their uh, credit cards, that um, cashed in their 401ks, that, that um, geez, I mean, just crazy stuff, uh, cashed in their life insurance. Hey, I'm not going to be around anymore. You know what? Oops. Um, guess what? You're still around. Now you got all those bills to pay. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just we got to live like there's going to be no tomorrow and then hope that it could be today uh, we just can't we can't the bible says to live circumspectly then that means to you know realize that even though we might perceive all these things we still have to plan for future i still tell my grandkids you know do the best you can in school go for all you can because we don't know how much time it's going to be or not be i think um whatever happens in september may just be a turning point for this country um being the world influence we're going to be taken down and taken out and reduced, you know, to a, a lesser influential place. It doesn't mean that the whole world's coming to an end tomorrow just because America comes to an end. I think that's vanity on our part. It could mean that just life as we know it is going to be a little bit different and it's going to start going down a downward uh, thing. So it might, it could mean another 20 years, but we got to think about that and, and still have a backup plan, I guess you might say. Right. We can, Hope that maybe things. I mean, myself, I'm really wanting to live long enough to see that little creep 
come out from the shadows and you know come on and show yourself what you are and and let your little aliens land on the white house lawn let's let's duke it out man let's get the final battle over and and done with and and let's uh see the lord come back but it may not be necessarily my time it could be a little bit longer we don't know and i think it's going to be one of those things of, of faith we just have to do what we know that is good because it's a good thing to do we don't worry about the outcome we just do what we know is the right thing God worries about the outcome. Um, that's where he does complete opposite of, of uh, the shirts that says, kill them all and let God sort them out. Well, my Bible tells me to go and, and preach the gospel. And I love this part because it's kind of freaky. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't say every person. He said every creature. Didn't mean to talk like, you know, Dr. Doolittle and talk, preach to the animals. It's every sentient being. So God is acknowledging that there are sentient beings in our midst right now today that are not human. The book of Jude says the same thing. They're clouds without water, twice uh, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. They're wandering stars whom deserved everlasting darkness. They're, um, those are definitions right there, not of human beings. They're something that looks human, but they're, I mean, a cloud is composed of water, but these are clouds without water. So they have substance without form. They're twice dead, plucked up by the roots. They're wandering stars who's reserved everlasting darkness. Again, that everlasting darkness, not in a dark place, but it's a ghost, but they're not going to stay that way. They're going to be repaired. Job 26.6 says clearly that it says that dead things are formed in the sea and the inhabitants thereof. Dead things there are, again, ghosts of the giants that are being repaired. Chul is a weird meaning. It means a twisting or a, a twisting or perversion of birth. And that's where you get this, this, this combination of transhumanism, cloning, and cybernetics and artificial intelligence. Man, we're making a shell for these things to come back in bodily form, but in an immortal body form, it, like Terminator type of body form. Um, this is Jesus said two things. That there would be a people that would be gathered that would never be before and will never be again. And it says that there will be a tribulation such as the world has never seen before and will never see again. That's uniqueness on both scales. Now, to have a tribulation that's never existed before, we've always had wars and rumors of wars. We've always had, um, we've even had nuclear war. There's evidence of uh, vitrified cities in India. There's, we have the um, humans that, that have casted shadows that are, that are dead with uh, radioactivity twice as what it should actually be for the day and time and age. It's all the indications of a nuclear war. These people were nuked by a, uh, a nuclear bomb. They look just like what happened at Hiroshima. Um, we have Historical records, the Bahanavita in India, that describes accurately the aftermath results of a nuclear war. And it talks about the different gods and goddesses wow. with uh, flying on bimnas, shooting darts at each other. Um, so that's not new. Nuclear war is not new. It's happened before. Just as Ecclesiastes says, uh, is there anything new under the sun? It's happened before in ancient times past. So this is something unique. What the tribulation period is that I pose is this is a manipulation of space-time. Never happened before. The tribulation, what's being agitated, is space-time. This is what CERN is doing. 
And I think what happens when CERN does finally bring in this, you know, hell on earth. Now, there's an indication that it's happening in two phases. One is clandestine and invisible. And we're, I think we're already starting to see some of that be laminated over us. How we just take little giant steps, jumps, where we accept certain sinful ideas. Like all of a sudden it seemed like same-sex relations was just normal. What's wrong with that? Um, it's like all of a sudden our government um, – uh, the Democrats come out openly and say they're socialists and they're communists. Well, you know, I remember 50 years ago, they'd get you in jail or booted out of the country. Now it's just, it's accepted. It's normal. It's okay. Now, um, to be a conservative or a constitutionalist is to be a hater. To be a Christian is getting more and more to be a hater. And there's more and more persecutions coming against Christians. It's subtle in the United States, but we can see that, you know, uh, we're the new Jew in America. We really are. And uh, it's it's slowly coming down to a persecution. These are when when sin like this is being broadly accepted. This is the laminating effect. I think that CERN is bringing in portions. Now there's some that are claiming with the Mandela effect that is changing the word of God. I can keep that very short, sweet, and simple. When Jesus said, "Heaven and earth shall pass, but my word will endure forever," what part of forever don't you understand? There's a scripture that says that. Um, that everything is has already been and everything that will be has already been, and God requires an account of that which is past. But what I love is the other part of that scripture just above it. Now, now that scripture alone tells us that we live um, in this world. God is separated by time. If everything already is and everything that will be has already been, that means everything's past. That means that God's domain is clearly outside of time. Where he is, everything is already done. Now, that's kind of weird to think about. If everything's already done, then where am I? I'm here, but I'm there? Paul says we're already seated in heavenly places. I think that was more literal meant than what we even begin to realize. Yeah. yeah. We are living in a parallel altered universe. When you understand quantum physics and compare the two-slit experiment to the two trees in the Garden of Eden, oh my gosh. All quantum physicists agree, no matter how they get there, they agree that what they have discovered shakes them to the bone. We are living in a world that's not even real. It's a programmed um, uh, computer program. It's like a holographic, unreal world. That's what they concluded, that we're not even living in a real world. Well, you know what? The Bible already concurred that. He said, this one's going to burn up and go away. It's not going to last. But, there's, but we belong on a sure foundation, the Bible says. That's in heaven, our residency. Once you're born again, you're brought into a real world that isn't here. It's there. It's in heaven. I truly believe heaven is this earth, never fallen. So it's a parallel, altered dimension. My God, quantum physics will even tell you more of a nightmare. They want to know, okay, if this is, if this, if we're living in a hologram, who programmed it? Now, all things are created by God. Nothing was created that wasn't created by God. But God created Satan. Satan, by extension, made his own. He's doing everything same but opposite. So whatever happened in the Garden of Eden created a rift in the space-time continuum. Literally, that's what the Bible is telling us, too. The doors, the two trees, when you look at the Hebrew word for trees, it literally means planks as applied to a door. So these are two doorways opening up to two different dimensions. One is God's dimension, the tree of life. In order to get to the tree of life, you've got to go through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the bridge that brings us through the tree of life, that brings us to an eternal realm.
that had never fallen into sin, that was created in God's total perfectness. He is in control of everything. What I love is the scripture just above the one that I said, the one that says that which is has already been and what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. Now, just above that is something of our assurance that says, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it, and that men should fear before him. So when people tell me the Mandela effect is changing the word of God, no, it isn't. It's not. It can't, because God won't let it be changed. Um, there's a psyops going on, and I think that there's subliminal programming that is going on, whether it be through movies, commercials, I don't know. I, I know that to look, when I quit watching television, I have much more clarity of mind on a lot of things now. And I really think a lot of it is coming through the tube. Television is what some people call it, but but I'm getting more and more away from it. I just do streaming video, and I listen. I watch streaming video. That way, I pick and choose what I want to watch when I want to watch it. Right? Uh, how? And I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just I was just saying to my wife tonight that because I don't watch a whole lot of TV anymore either, and that's almost by default because I just keep myself so busy, but. Yeah. I got home tonight and I was eating some dinner and I turned on uh, ESPN and I was just seeing what was going on with the sports world. And there was a commercial that came on and I just started catching all this subliminal uh, messaging. And I looked at her and I'm like, did you catch that? And she's like, no. And, and I showed where showed her what I was talking about. But then I told her, I said, I think I'm catching these things more because I'm desensitizing myself. Yep. yep. Yep, I think so too. I, I've noticed that I, I, uh, a few programs that I do like on on rec, excuse me on regular TV, I pre-record so that I can go over the commercials. I don't have to listen to them. I love doing it that way. But I've noticed um, more of a sensitivity. You know, when I do watch, I catch things that I never caught before. So I think you know, I think there's a lot of psyops going on through that. But there's a combination. I mean, Monsanto is 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 making our bodies deficient in nutrients and everything and polluting it with, with contaminants. We have the chem sprays that, that are spraying barium and, and um, aluminum combinations. Aluminum is uh, directly to memory loss. Um, and everybody, I, I thought it was just me getting old, but I mean, everybody, even 20, 20 year olds, 30 year olds uh, telling me that they're short term. They're having, all of us are struggling with short term. Me, memory. Yes, absolutely. It's a product of, of all the sprays. So we're being beaten down by everything. The water we drink, the air we breathe, um, you know, the food we eat, everything is bringing us to a very vulnerable point. But I think that we as, as a faithful remnant, if we're aware of this, we can pray our way through it. If we can, you know, there's a certain amount of responsibility that we have. So we try to eat better. We try to, uh, even though it's going to cost you more. Um, try to do everything that we can on our part, and then we just trust the Lord to take care of the rest. We can get through this. We cannot be affected like the world is being affected. They're just blind, and, and while they're laughing and making fun of you, you're protecting yourself so that when all of this stuff comes down, we're going to see clearly what it is for what it is, not only by the power of God's Spirit, but our bodies will be in better shape, our minds will be in better shape to be able to listen and hear from the Lord uh, right. and not be deceived. That's where no weapon formed will, will prosper against us. I really believe that. I love um, Romans 8, 
38 is one of uh, well, 28 is my favorite, but my second favorite will be Romans 8, 38. But I am persuaded that neither death nor hell nor things in the uh, past or the present, um, principalities, powers, nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God. There again, that, that same word, any other creature. Why? Because there's going to be creatures that are going to try to separate you from the love of God. But that can't happen because we have God's guarantee. It's not going to happen. So I kind of, I, I, I have the attitude like Alfred E. Newman, if some of you that remember way back when, the Mad Magazine, the little red-headed freckled guy with the big ears, what me worry? I'm not going to be worried. My days are appointed by the Lord, and I can say and do whatever I can to serve him, and I don't have to worry about my red dot or, um, you know, things are going to make a major pivot, I think, this September. And uh, I hope we're all ready to rise above it all and, and trust our Lord to see us through. The God that saw, Mo, or the God that saw Noah through a total, total world being destroyed and could save six people. Um, that was good enough for him. It can be good enough for us. Right. Now, and so in discussion of pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, I don't care. It's going to be when God wants it to be. I'm more of, I lean towards a post-tosy, you know, one day of the Lord. But, you know, I could be wrong, and I'm, I'm not going to demand that everybody believe the way I do. Um, my only concern is for pre-tribbers, there's nothing wrong with hoping for an escape. I mean, that, that's cool. But, you know, just in case— See your God big enough to see you through whatever you have to go through. He's not going to abandon us. If it, let's say if it isn't a pre-trib and you're going to go through a pre-wrath, which means maybe half or some or all of it or whatever, know that God's faithful with you and he's going to see you through. He's not going to, his grace isn't going to take you where his, his power can't keep you. It's just going to be there. So worrying about when it is and how it is, it's not even an issue. You know, I'm, kind of a weirdo you know some of my testimony i i don't have a fear of death or anything um, because god has saved me so many different times from death that um i've actually prayed that lord if it is a pre-trib can you leave me behind so i can help others i i can't go up there and have this party and and have fun knowing that there's still people that need help and if i can help some way i'd rather be left behind so i can serve and and do it right to the end and I do. I mean, I maybe I'm a sick puppy. I don't know, but that's just the way I, I you know, hold me back, man. I got more work to do yet. Yeah. I don't want to party and chill out. I, I want to help out to the very end. Right. Yeah, Jim, you you've shared so much tonight, and we've really covered so much. And I, and I know from talking to you personally off air, there's so much more to cover. <laughs> now. And I, I've, I've, I really believe we should do another show or two to, to cover more. You know, we just, we should just uh, enjoy this time. Uh, but on the way out of this show tonight, what would you share with people that maybe either they are Bible believer, Bible, Bible believing people, and they're hearing this kind of stuff for the first time? How would you direct them uh, as far as looking into this kind of thing? And also maybe the people who aren't Bible believers but they're really intrigued by how you're drawing the connection through the Bible to everything that's going on today that they do believe in. What would you say that? I know that's a loaded question. We got about five minutes here. You know, that um, what I would say to you is what, I, what happened with me. Um, when I finally came to a point of my day of, uh, uh, of being called or calling upon the Lord, 
Um, I was a bullhead. I I was raised on Darwin. Darwin was my um, religion, or evolution was my religion. I had no religion. I had great, wonderful, moral parents, but they didn't know the Lord themselves. But uh, I got to lead them to the Lord after I got saved. But what caused me to get saved, I, I wasn't at the bottom um, reaching out of, out of desperation. I was actually at the top and reaching out out of frustration. Um, I had been supernaturally saved in the Army in 1970. I knew that there had to be a God and he had some plan for me, but it took me four years of being bullheaded and searching in every wrong direction. And it came down to Jesus Christ. I bought a book, Lake Great Planet Earth. Once I found out I bought it at Kmart. And once I found out that I bought a Christian book in Kmart, I was just incensed. That was outrageous. That's not right. I shouldn't, you know, allow that sneaky kind of trickery. So I shoved the book in the corner and I wouldn't read it. I'm at my job now. I'm 20 four years old. I graduated college. I was a welder, uh, working a maintenance job, finishing up. Um, I had a, a unique job where I worked three days a week and I got paid for 40 hours. And I worked 13, 13 hours a day. And uh, I got my pay uh, like on a Wednesday. And then I had uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I worked at a, my own gallery. I did metal sculpture work, so I had my own little gallery in a mini mall. So I had a wife. I had uh, a newborn child. I had uh, a house half paid for. I had uh, a car and a truck. I had the American dream. Before that, I was a dope-smoking, acid-head, dropping weirdo that had no direction, no purpose, no nothing. Um, so I like to say that I picked myself up by my own bootstraps and I got the American dream and it was great, but I also had a bad habit even then of watching news and current events and tying them into my own personal lifestyle. And I realized that this was the end of the Vietnam war. We always are hit a recession when a war ends and it was the, the Arabs were very close to nationalizing the oil fields. We were going to get hit with two double whammies. We, our economy was going to be bad. Art being the first thing that most people are going to put out of their um, budget, I started making preparations. I was warning everybody else, don't expand. You better you know, get, get ready for some hard times. The war in Vietnam is ending, and the Arabs are going to nationalize the oil. We're going to lose all of that. Uh, you know, of course, they laughed and everything, but you know what? I got out. And I didn't, I mean, I weathered it pretty good. I could have really suffered financially a lot, but I made all the right preparations and I survived. But I was frustrated and angry that I did all of this, got my act together, got my life together, and now it's going to be affected by a bunch of people on the other side of the world that I have no control and say over. And I was angry. I was frustrated. That anger and frustration is where I... I thought I, when I bought the late great planner, if I thought I was buying another book like Eric von Daniken's Chariot of the Gods, I was kind of into all that stuff then. And uh, I just, I wouldn't read that book. Um, I just was upset that it was a Christian book, but I didn't throw it away. I just shoved it in, the other, in my extra room in the mobile home that I lived in and, and uh, didn't go back to it. But there was this little old black man, extra special dark African chocolate black man. And he had, I mean, for as dark as that dude was, man, he had light shining out of him everywhere. And, you know, I'm working in a shop. Usually 
guys in the shop sometimes can be pretty crude and rude. And, and a lot of times the bottom feeders, what we would consider a janitor would be a bottom feeder. They'd get teased and razzed and everything. Nobody teased this guy. Everybody loved him, man. Nobody had a bad word to say about Chester. And Chester was always singing and smiling and humming and had a good word for everybody. And everybody just loved him. So I went up to him one time and I, I asked him, I said, Chester, I notice every Friday you don't eat with the rest of us. You go off on your own and uh, you're reading some kind of book or something. And he says, well, on Fridays, I fast, and the book I'm reading is a Bible, and I'm an ordained minister, and so God tells me on Friday what I'm supposed to preach on Sunday. And I go, okay, sorry I stepped into that one. <laughs> I didn't. You know, I really, I, that was my first thought, but, you know, I thought, here's a guy that only has about a third grade education. And I started asking him questions, you know, okay, so you're a Christian, so, you know, what about this, what about that? And I started asking questions. This guy had more wisdom and could give me some of the most profound answers. And I'm looking, I'm going, man, I know this guy's only got about a third grade education. He's from the deep south and, you know, he had a rugged life. But, man, this guy's talking stuff that, I mean, just way above. I need to know what he knows. And he won me over to Christ. Because I didn't know it at the time, but I was looking at Jesus, man. This guy had such a, a persona of, of Jesus that the more he would tell me, the more I thought, man, there's some, I, whatever he knows, I got to know. And he softened my heart. I read the book, Lake Great Planet Earth. And I, even though I don't agree with any of the eschatology anymore that's in there, he had, Hell Lindsay had the, the prayer of salvation. And I was at a point where I wasn't totally convinced. But I said, Lord, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, come into my heart. Help me to live for you. I unconditionally surrender you right now. If you are who you say are, I'd be a fool not to accept your offer. Please come into my heart. Please help me to live for you. And at that moment, I cried for a half an hour. All the anger, all the crap that I'd ever put up with in my life just seemed like it was pouring out. And all of a sudden, at that moment, I knew that I had joined God's army and I was forever changed. I'd never be the same again. And I felt such a blanket of love come across over me. And it just, uh, it was purifying. In that moment, no one can ever take away from me. And that's what I would say to anyone listening today. You will never know until you take that leap of faith. If you can believe that Jesus was the Son of God and God the Son, that he was willing to die for you for his your sins. And dying for your sins isn't meaning just, you know, in a vague way, it means that everything that you have ever experienced, hurt, pain, suffering, anger, that emotion, those memories came into him for everyone ever born and everyone that will ever be born all at one time. That's what he did for all of us willingly. If you can believe that kind of love existed for you, all you got to do is ask Jesus to come into your heart right now. In a simple little prayer. You can't earn it. You can't learn it. It's like two dimensions. This is where we're stuck in. This is where we ha can go. And there's a bridge already been made. Now, you can sit here and think you've got to study or be good enough or learn and earn your way. But in all pr simple practicality, here's the bridge. Just acknowledge that the bridge is there and walk over it. That's all you got to do. And you do that by asking Christ in your heart. You become born again. You get the mind of Christ, the Holy Spirit in you that will begin to work on your own human mind 
to conform it into the likeness of Christ, which is the hope of glory in you. And you're on your way to heaven. I talked to so many people. I said, you know, the gospel means good news. And the good news is you can know right here, right now, that your sins are forgiven and that you are now a residency out of this clown world into and three-wearing circus into the real world that you belong to. And Jesus was the one that did it for you. If you can believe that and you can ask him into your heart, he will accept you even on a if because you're reaching out. If you seek me with your whole heart, you shall find me. That's what I would say to everybody. You will never know trying to look on the outside in. You'll only know by taking that first step and asking him into your heart. Right on, Jim. I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight and sharing all this information. And uh, I know this is going to be a great show. I'm probably going to get a ton of emails, you know, questions. And don't be surprised if people are asking for your contact information. So, <laughs> Fine. Okay. Jim, before we, before we get out of here, what's your website and uh, where can people buy your book? Okay, it's uh, echoesofenoch.com or .org. That's E-C-H-O-E-S-O-F-E-N-O-C-H.com or .org. Uh, you can buy my book at a better price through me unless you're outside the continental United States. Then go through Barnes & Noble or um, Amazon, probably Amazon. Find a local distributor, and it's much cheaper there because it's, it's like $15 for the book. But uh, if I have to send it overseas, the shortest is $25 and the most is like $50. And why would you do that for a $15 book? <laughs> Amazon has local uh, affiliates all over the place. And they, unfortunately, they sell it for $23. So if you're stateside here in the United States, um, it's the best deal at my place because you get a $15. That's uh, flat out. No post or anything. It's 15 for the full price. Um, my email is a witness for one. It's a W I T N E S S the letter four and one at AOL.com. I know it's old fashioned. I've been with them ever since the very beginning and I just kind of creature a habit or something. I get a lot of people make fun of me because I still, I stuck with AOL. I don't know. You know what? I don't think I've ever heard anybody else say that they have an AOL email anymore. So <laughs> most people say Gmail. I still have a flip phone too. I don't have a uh, smartphone and I never will. I'm the guy that's be looking at it when I step in front of that bus. So, you know, I'm not even going to go there. Yeah. Well, you know what? I can attest that I got your book off of your website and uh, it was cool because you even signed it for me. So that was pretty cool. I really appreciated that. And Jim, until next time, thank you very much for coming on. All right. Thank you for having me. It's All been right. a great Take care. Well, that's the show. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys learned something from Jim tonight. You know, I know the Bible can be one of those books that's really frustrating for people to read through sometimes because there's so much stuff in there and you don't quite understand everything because it's written in a way where you don't normally talk that way anymore or you don't think that way anymore. And it can be really frustrating sometimes to just try to read through it and comprehend it. So with Jim's studies and the things that he spent a lifetime learning, I hope you guys were able to, you know, pick up some bits and pieces and try to make sense of some things that the Bible says or you hear people saying about the Bible. If you guys have an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me, go ahead and email me at theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit the website up at theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. If you guys are on Facebook, go ahead and give us a like, and if you're on Twitter, give us a follow. If you're on iTunes and you're listening to this show right now, I would really appreciate it if you gave us a review, one of those good old happy reviews to help this show rise in the charts. Until next week, friends. Take care.
Storm. 